There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the latest Motorsport Magazine um, issue preview podcast. This is where members of the editorial team uh, for the magazine run through uh, the latest issue and give readers uh, a little insight, hopefully, into how the magazine came about and um, pull out some of our personal highlights from uh, from each issue. Um, this uh, this uh, podcast, we will be doing um, a double header. Uh, we've got two uh, magazine issues to get through. The first one uh, is the October issue, and uh, after that, we will look at the uh, November issue, which is in the shops from uh, from today, I think it is. Anyway, going back a month, um, if we can all cast our minds back, let's look at the uh, October issue. Uh, to discuss it, I'm joined with, uh, by the features editor, Simon Aaron, uh, our staff writer, Sam Canal, our digital editor, Jack Phillips, and our art director, Damon Cogman. Gang. What a cover. I mean, I know it's not on sale anymore because it's just come off the newsstands, but that really is something else, isn't it? It's um, a picture of the, uh, well, it's, it's, it's the Holy Trinity, as we're calling them, uh, the Ferrari uh, 512, the Lola T70, and Porsche uh, 917, all on track together um, and driven by um, Dario Franchitti. Damon, not, well, not, how did that, how, what do you think of that cover? Not all at the same time, I hasten to add. He didn't, <laughs> he's, not, he's good, but he's not that good. Um, yeah, he's, wow, I mean, what a, co- what a cover, eh? Um, can we just have that on sale for another, another month? Yeah. That's it is the, in the app, of course. Ah, yes, that's a good point, yes. This is a very good point by our digital editor, Jack, who says... That <laughs> Who's it is, intercepted straight away, isn't it? <laughs> how do you, how, tell us how you go about getting it on the app then, Jack. Well, if you go to the app store, your app store, whichever one, whether that's Android or iOS, you can then just search for Motorsport, put a space, and then we should come up. Um, and then you can then download the issue and subscribe, I believe, mm-hmm. from inside the app. Right. And you can download individual issues, can't you? Yes. And there are some from the full archive as well, so back to the 30s, wow. I okay. believe. Okay. You're saying that you're saying that with slight... Uh, well, I tra- believe so. <laughs> yeah. It's on all online. Oh, on you, the not. digital editor, shouldn't you know these things? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, back on back on, <laughs> back back on, on topic. <laughs> that, that was good work. We literally went ten seconds before we deviated out. That was, that was, even for us, that was good work. Um, yeah. Let's, uh, uh, Damon, just talk us through this cover. I mean, just tell us from, from an artistic point of view what what makes it so striking. Well, the, um, the I mean, the first the first thing is obviously a, a, a big red Ferrari. You, you can't really go wrong with that. Really, it's sort of a, a 1970, 1970, 69, 70? 70. 70. Uh, sort of a 512, which uh, is an un- unbelievably beautiful car to, to start with. So. You're off to you're off to a good start there. There, yeah, um, and it's very rare when it's very rare to have a uh, have a track test where a, a 917 is in a supporting role. Uh, usually, it's front and centre. But the the amazing thing about uh, these particular cars is that they were they're all worthy of a cover by themselves. But uh, having all three makes it probably 
what three times better, I suppose, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. At, at least <laughs> by the power of three. Uh, so yeah, it's, and visually it's it's striking. It's, it's it's on an angle. We've we've put we've put some uh, we've beefed up the colours. Uh, we've uh, we've t- turned it from a uh, slightly grey overcast uh, Donington afternoon into a sort of a slightly more moody uh, uh, feel to it. But it, 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 yeah, I think it I think it's uh, I think it leaps off the shelves. Hopefully, or it will have done by the time you listen to this. So, <laughs> so. and Simon, just talk us through just briefly a little bit about what makes these particular cars so so special um and 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 why it's so rare to see them all three together at the same time well i mean the reason it's it's special for one reason is is uh, simple scarcity because although we do see these cars out and about at historic events it's not often that you see you get the chance to see all three of them running in such close proximity at the same time on the same day they they hark back to such a fabulous era of sports car racing when the i mean sports car racing today is quite innovative certainly compared with formula one the rules are less prescriptive um but back then i mean this was before the three liter limit was imposed and it wasn't quite anything goes but yeah they were real beasts Mm. you know five liter v8s v12s i mean the flat 12s they were um, you know they were monsters of cars and if you talk to the drive guys who raced them in period they'll tell you all sorts of harem scarum stories about developing the things um and they weren't just fast and powerful but they they look absolutely beaut- beautiful Dar- Darry couldn't believe he's like that day could he when no we asked, no, no, we he, he, to, no absolutely <laughs> he, he said them you know it was uh, it, it was real it was real sort of uh Boyhood, boys own boyhood stuff. dream, Absolute isn't it? Yeah. Boys' own stuff. <laughs> yeah, if we could, uh, if we could list all, the- particularly for somebody like Dario, who's, who's a real student as well as a very successful racing driver in his own right, he's a real student of the sport. I mean, he, he loves finding out about his past, and there's no better place to find out about his past than in the driving seat of a, of those three. Yeah. You mentioned there the um, people who drove them in period, um, Jack. Not many people drove all three cars, but. I notice here you you managed to find one. Yeah, it took us a while to work out to put our finger on David Hobbs because mm. a lot of people drove two, um, but not many people drove all three. I think it was Hobbs and Jackie Oliver, the only two. Right. Um, and Hobbs, being a good such a good talker as he is, um, was happy to talk as he drove across America in and out of Signal. Um, <laughs> was he at, I didn't realise he was at the wheel when he spoke to him. <laughs> yeah. Hands-free. <laughs> uh, hands you had, you had, you had to bring him back about four times as yeah. you were going through various the, tunnels. It would and just go uh, dead silent and then he would be mid-sentence and I'd have no idea what he was talking about <laughs> and then <laughs> have to call him back. Uh, but we got there in the end. So. <laughs> No, it's a great. He gives a he gives a wonderful insight into, uh, into into what it was like, Damon. One of the before we move on, I just wanted to mention these rather lovely uh, cutaway pictures mm. that we've got of each of the cars, showing the kind of under the skin of of them. Um, th- they're great, aren't they? And they 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 look like they were done in period. Um, yeah, well, they, 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 they don't do they don't do they it. Were, like that, yeah, like no, they, they, I mean with the uh, with the with the style of of the day um it was very much a, a an artist's uh, kind of eye for uh, the under the skin so although they're kind of te- seen as technical drawings they're still an artistic um endeavor 
the 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 sort of more uh, technical drawings that we have today very much based around computer generated images and it is very much fact based and um, information based whereas uh, the 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 cutaways of the 60s 70s and even further back were were really really kind of part of a they were, they were done by artists they mm. were done by people that that kind of had a an artist's eye not not necessarily uh uh the, they had the full technical backdrop to uh every t- sort of nice nut and bolt and there was a lot of artists sort of a uh, sort of leniency in, in amongst all of that but uh but yeah i think what it does is it gives it a um a real a real kind of warmth as well as well as all the kind of the, you're looking into this sort of into the heart and soul of these machines you get a real kind of uh um, a beauty to it which yeah. uh, i don't think you really get with the with the cutaways of today no i mean there is an artistry in 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 the engineering as well isn't there and that's it's just it's just it's just wonderful i mean i'm sure if you've got the magazine in front of you um just just pause for a moment on 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 those on those images i think they're wonderful but look, i'm gonna i'm gonna jump ahead um because uh, we've got a lot to uh, to get through we've um we've also uh, got a feature here on the goodwood revival um simon is it really 20 years <laughs> 20 years since the first revival it seems like well I, mean, I think I mentioned it in my piece but it's um, it really resonated with me when Goodwood reopened because I've been there so many times um, earlier on in my writing career we'd, we'd, we'd base road car shoots from around there because A had a nice cafe which is a good place to meet and B you're on the fringe of the South Downs which is a good place to take cars for photo shoots um, and I always used to look out and think what a pity it was that I'd never seen racing there and there'd be testing and stuff going on but it, you never imagined that racing would resume just because there was no logical reason for it to resume and then when Lord March made his announcement in the mid-1990s as broken exclusively in motorsport I should have <laughs> um, you, we were, you were a news hound weren't you? well yeah days, sort of but well, it was a feature that actually broke a news story. It was a kind of quite an unusual hybrid, but, um, you know, and he said he was going to do it. And I, I remember so vividly standing there in 1998 yeah. on the other side of the pit straight, looking down from the chicane down towards Madrick, uh, as all the ERAs, well, most, a couple of BRMs kind of stuttered off the line and stopped. But there were ERAs and other stuff. But it was a nice, smoky, oily start, and it just seemed a very appropriate way for Goodwood to burst back into life with all this smoke and haze and it was a gorgeous autumnal afternoon um and that seems like three minutes ago two minutes ago and the fact that 20 years have passed and and that moment is still imprinted on my mind and i think it always will be i've still Um, got i've still got my flat cap that i wore on that day as well in 1998 it still fits me you probably you probably paid a schoolboy rate to get in didn't you i had my press pass um but it's i mean to have gone from that and it was you know it was a well-attended event back then and everyone was said well it's lovely but it's nothing like goodwood because goodwood is all oily mucky puddles like every other racing circuit but the way the way it has evolved into um i mean i I still love it as a race meeting, but it's um, it's almost like a theme park in some ways, in a good way. Um, but the people who go aren't necessarily racing fans. They they just like to be part of a major event. And in much the same way as the Grand National or a Lord's Test match or the Henley Regatta, you know, people who go to those events aren't necessarily aficionados of horse racing or Wimbledon tennis, for example. But... Yeah, they, they they go and have a great time because it's a fantastic event, 
and it remains so. Yeah, absolutely. It was the 70th anniversary of Goodwood the other day, actually, um, in this year, chock full of them. And on the web, there's a nice little story on that. So, yeah, if you go to motorsbotmagazine.com and just have a little search around. But, but that's, an, that's an, interesting, it's an interesting point, Sam. And it's, um, it's also now interesting that Goodwood has been operational for longer as a retro venue than it was it as a contemporary right. venue period, only by a couple of years. <laughs> but it's, it is, it is, yeah, it's had a longer life now in the modern age than it had first time around. Well, we asked various people to sort of uh, to celebrate it by telling us and recounting their um, uh, favourite memories um, of the revival. Um, and we've got a, a whole raft of names, of course, including uh, many of our staff members here. We've got Gordon, we've got Simon, obviously, uh, Andrew Frankel and Dickie Meaden. Uh, we've also got Tom Christensen, uh, Matt Neal, Martin Brundle. Um, lovely kind of package, really, of, um, of, of, of great memories uh, from, from down the years. Um, one of the things we always like to try and do is pull together uh, a story which you don't necessarily expect uh, uh, to be hoving into view. Uh, uh, and this month, uh, or the last month, we've got a piece on the Bend um, racetrack, uh, which is uh, in Australia. And uh, it's it's been built by uh, a millionaire businessman down there, who's also an enormous race, motor racing fan. Um, and it is... Um, uh, well, I mean, it's an extraordinary kind of undertaking, really, and we've uh, had our, our Australian correspondent go down and take a look at it. Um, it's just south of Adelaide, in the middle of nowhere, and um, uh, it makes a, a lovely, lovely read. Uh, we've also got Dickie Meaden t- taking part in a single make, uh, or in the par- Porsche 2 litre cup, which is um, sort of, it's, it's unusual, isn't it, Simon, because it's a, it's a sort of, um, there's not many single make um, uh, historic racing series. No, I mean, relative, relatively few, and uh, a lot of people think that one make racing has um, completely spoilt, uh, spoilt the sport in in, in some respects. Um, but you know, I I don't uh, I don't I wouldn't want to see one make racing become the norm in historics because part of the beauty of historic racing is the extreme diversity you get. But I think something like something like this, it's a uh, they're, they're nice, elegant cars. There are lots of them, yeah. and they pr- and they yeah. provide good racing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and of course, uh, let's not forget Howard. Of course, <laughs> yes. It <laughs> was uh, the first time a member of Take That as a in say, motorsport. I believe so it's got to be a world's first, hasn't it? Surely, in the ninety-five year history, I'm sure we haven't quite ever broached the uh, subject of. Uh, um, we're a broad church, Damon. Yes, and, um, we are. And we encompass. <laughs> we, we, we he's spank. actually he was he was absolutely brilliant, wasn't he? He was very generous with his time and with his car, um, and um, uh, and and when we interviewed him, he actually obviously knows a lot about racing yeah. and, um, and and takes it pretty seriously. Um, he tweeted actually after after we published it, saying he couldn't believe that he'd made the pages of Motorsport magazine. <laughs> so, um, very briefly, Simon, because we've got to move on. Um, Scott Pruitt, um, our lunch with you met him for breakfast. Um, at, at Goodwood, it was a beautiful morning, sitting on the terrace of the aforementioned old cafe. Um, not met Scott before. Delightful, delightful guy. Fantastically successful career, particularly in uh, sports car racing in the States, but he also won champ car races, Trans Am races, you name it, he, he's been there, done it. Podiums in NASCAR. Uh, just which, all, which all piles into significance. Um, Alongside the fact he's got a vineyard. Apart, I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> uh, apart from the fact that you, you introduced him to, into his first ever British breakfast. And you know, um, well, I did, yeah. I mean, he, he well, they the, don't have sausages in America, really, do they? <laughs> I, I think, I, I don't know, he, he, um, he had a sausage. sausage. Had a sausage not, no bangers. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not, it's not. He had a sausage and egg um, 
toasted sandwich, which he ate most of, um, but he don't. He only weighs about fifty-five kilos. So you know, I think kind, I was, of, kind of poked it around his plate and sort of. Uh, <laughs> he he did eat most of it, but he um, fascinating guy. And the in the piece, he recommends one particular wine from his vineyard, which I looked up online and discovered cost about one hundred and fifty dollars a bottle. So um, it probably is very very good. Christmas present for you, Simon. After he reads this, um, right? We're gonna we're we're, we're gonna leave the October issue there and move on to the uh, and to the current issue, which is on sale. Uh, before we do, um, I would like to mention the uh, well, it's a first for motorsport. It's our very own track day, uh, which is taking place on October the fifth, um, and um, it, this is open to all readers. Uh, you can uh, go to our website and you'll be able to find out some more information. But the headline figures are that uh, you can take your bring your own car. Um, we get a full se- uh, driver safety briefing. Um, there's some it's a several allotted driving sessions throughout the day. Uh, there's a welcome from our special guest and friend of the magazine, Tiff Nidell. Um, professional driving tuition uh, with, uh, I think, four licensed instructors. Uh, we have breakfast, uh, lunch, uh, afternoon tea as well. And most importantly, you get to meet uh, members of the editorial team um, between uh, sessions out on the track so if that appeals um, go to the website um, find out more details and uh, and we look forward hopefully to seeing you on the 5th of October at Thruxton now moving on to the uh, current issue which is on sale a Jaguar E-Type on the cover and it looks really rather splendid, Damon. It does look good, doesn't it? I mean, uh, I mean, any, any, again, an E-type is a. Uh, you're on safe ground there, really, aren't you? I mean, everybody loves an E-type. It is a is a fantastic. But there's something looking special machine. about this particular yes. E-type. This one, well. this one's, uh, this one's got a hell of a story attached to it. So obviously, we're Have not gonna, all? we're not gonna. Well, they all do. They all do, yes. But we're obviously not gonna let all the cats out of all the bags for this uh, particular one. But uh, this, there is a, there's a quite a, quite an interesting story that follows it through its entire career, through its whole life. Yes. And it's uh, obviously it's um, uh, the, the, the way that we've shot it, it. It sort of it looks like it's coming back to life. The lovely thing is obviously with Lyndon, our staff photographer, made a made a did a lovely job. He um, he kind of we sent him off to Goodwood, and he, I think he was photographing at about ten o'clock at night. But that, at the point at the point we uh, <laughs> that we still see it there. So um, I think he was uh, quite quite pleased to uh, to get it done. But I think after the uh, after the team basically threw in the keys and uh, said just just put a cover over it, over it when you finish. And uh, kind of left him to it for the night. That's brilliant. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. He's, he sort of uh, yeah was was left to uh, left to his own devices for a while. Fantastic. The um, uh, I'm just going to pause actually, just going through the pages here uh, on historic news. Um, uh, obviously, we've got uh, before that we have uh, Mark Hughes talking about the uh, uh, the, the uh, Formula One season. Um, we've got the international news and our columnists. But historic news. Interesting story, Sam, um, and you're making the point here that there might well be too many historic races on the calendar. Well, yeah, it's not just me making the point. Um, we had a few candid chats with uh, the outgoing HSEC CEO, Graham White, who's actually now been replaced by Andy D. Crown. There's more on that in the next one. But um, yeah, there's some really candid chats like bringing up Brexit. I know yeah. we try and shy away from oh, that no, in this not this particular again. magazine, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but it is the elephant in the room. Uh, too many meetings. It's, it's quite an intriguing one. Is um, this something that you've heard sort of on your beat as you go around the various historic meetings that you, that you go to? This is, this, is the sort of, this is something which has been rumbling for a while, but you've, you've picked it up. Yeah? A lot of people have been saying it's not the same. You know, I mean, we, the hot topic is based on the Gold Cup as well, and you can see that the Gold Cup is now not what it used to be. I mean, everyone knows that. It's pretty obvious. But there are so many factors why. I mean, it's hard to tell if historic racing is is in a slump or if it's stagnant. 
but there are some good reasons why here. So, yeah, it's an intriguing one. But the problem that we seem to be saying is that because there are so many historic meetings, it's having an impact on grid numbers. Yeah, that, the value of the cars, um, and of course, yeah, there's so many conflicts. I mean, why would you compete in maybe the Gold Cup if you could mm-hmm. save your car for the revival? It does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a it's it's an issue that's probably going to uh, rumble on, and um, uh, we'll we'll we're, we're going to keep uh, keep abreast of it as much as we can because it's such a growing. I mean, historic racing is now a massive business, and it's a massive sport, and um, uh, I can only see it going going one way at the moment. I mean, Simon, have you heard much about you people worrying that there's just simply a cr- too crowded a calendar? Well, uh, not least me, because um, <laughs> there'll be. You, you can't be in two or three places at once, and the the number of times in the last year or three that there'll have been the HSC Super Prix at Brands Hatch on the same weekend as the Festival of Speed at Goodwood, and there's a major historic race meeting at Manicor, which is not that far away. Um, there are constant clashes. Uh, this weekend just just passed. I mean, there was an HSCC event on a Brands Hatch, great racing, um, and there was a VSCC meeting at Snetterton, which is only... 90 minutes, two hours up the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you, a lot of people who want to go to both of those things, you know, it's just until the, the TARDIS is invented, we're, we're stuck. Yeah. It, do, it does feel as though a lot of the meetings I've been to recently, they're, they're kind of stretching over two, maybe three days, and it feels like it's a one-day event stretched over two and indeed three yeah, definitely and um definitely I, i'm not quite sure why that's happening so you you're getting you're you're having to make choices about going to an event and you're kind of thinking well do i go for one day do i go for two days do i go for three days three days is a huge commitment mm. for a for a normal person yeah no uh, three days at alton park for me is fine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i, I did, do ac- I, I do accept he did say normal which yeah, yeah. doesn't necessarily he did, he did caveat it with me, normal yeah. person yeah so just running through the the magazine we've got uh, a column i just want i've lighted here on the letters page and um there's possibly my favorite letter um, Ever. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's brilliant. Simon, go on. Tell us what this letter is oh, talking it's, about. Well, it's just, it's a, it came completely out of the blue. A chap emailed him and sent in two shots from Silverstone Paddock in 56 or 59. I can't remember which. But anyway. The, um, 59 it was, yeah. 59. Of Maria, Maria Teresa de Filippis in, in a Maserati 250F. And one was taken by the chap who wrote in. The other was taken by his wife. Um, they've been standing next to each other, clearly, from the pictures, but they didn't actually meet each other for another three or four years. And when they did meet, it was in Lagos, in Nigeria. And it was only when they were, after they'd been married for some time, they were looking through their respective photo archives and discovered that they'd both taken the same picture from, you know, what can only be in a few feet away. But, you know, without, without having any clue at the time that the, uh, the other party existed. I just think it's a lovely, lovely little throwaway line. It's, it is. It's a. It's a fantastic letter and lovely pictures. And um, uh, Alec and Jocelyn Rate, who um, wrote in, um, uh, thank you very much indeed. Um, it gave us a lot of pleasure here in the office. Just running through the rest of the magazine. Here we've got obviously our cover feature, um, and um, which is uh, obviously on, on, on our E-type, and and also on the Kinrara uh, Trophy, which was the world's build as the world's um, most valuable um, race. And so we sort of delve into that and uh, and examine why that why that would be so um and from the revival we're going f- jumping right forward to the future and to the digital revolution um uh, written by jack um you've done a lovely piece on uh, on the growing popularity of esports um maybe just explain 
briefly, first of all, what esports actually are. Esports is basically just people playing computer games, which mm. sounds simple, but there are they are so good nowadays that people are effectively racing against professional drivers. You've got people like Max Verstappen and um, Nicky Team. Lots of other racing drivers spend their time at home playing computer games on their expensive rigs and on their machines. And this is where you tracks. play. You can play live action. This is multiplayer games where yes, you can so play in real time other players who are also playing against all you. online and there are now a sort of series of leagues and championships and um different race events have cropped up including british gt um WEC has its own and now formula one has joined the party go on um, tell us about formula one because you this is the best i mean you nose off on this really rather surreal kind of occasion it was a bizarre day. Um, we had to go across to West London to watch basically some Formula One teams pick some kids to represent them in computer game Formula it's, One World It's kind of like a draft, isn't it, from um, yeah. like the American um, sports kind of draft? I would say it's more like school PE. <laughs> in, the <laughs> well, in what way? It was just... People being left against the the last person standing against much. the wall. And like no one wanted. End, yeah, yeah, and you could see the kids were just... All the, some of them were sort of in their 20s and 30s, sort of sheepishly looking side to side while they didn't get picked. And, um, oh, wow. and just to be clear, these were prop- these were Formula One teams. These were all the Formula One yes. teams, minus Ferrari, who decided not to play They did, for, they were being Ferrari. And um, yeah, the, some of them have taken it very seriously. Um, and one of them, I believe, I was told on the night, has taken it slightly less seriously and um, used part of their IT team to run it. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, but I focus more on the wider picture rather than the specifics of that actual championship um, because it is kind of taking over a little bit. Um, and a point made by Jean-Luc Verne um, in a house in West London owned by the team running Sauber, <laughs> which is as bizarre as that evening was as well. Right. Um, he said these people aren't doing it to be racing drivers. They are doing it just to be good at computer games the same way that if you're playing fifa you don't expect to be messy which is a which is a good point and it's sort of goes up against what darren cox and the gt academy tried to do well and mm-hmm. successfully did in made a com- racing driver from a computer game driver um so it's quite an yeah. interesting yeah. but the, the the modern the modern version of this now is that they're that sporting people are paid huge sums of money at the, the esports arena not obviously not not motor racing yet, but in other environments are hugely well paid, aren't they? This sort of yeah, it's all organic as well. It's all been done on their own. They've all done off the off the back of hmm. just YouTube, um, and you see they are simple videos that they're earning their money off and sure. advertising and sponsors, yeah. and and then they get sponsorship deals from people like Logitech and. Now they're getting paid by racing teams as well. Okay, so I guess that this is in its, in its infancy, isn't it? This is very much the the first sort of wave for it is motor that's racing. Probably maybe five years now, mm. which in the grand scheme of motorsport is not a very long time at all. But yeah. in but the modern the growth era of, rate is phenomenal. I mean, arguably this is the fastest growing. Yeah, they're talking billions. form of motorsport. Um, I mean, in the old days, it used to be karting, um, where you earned your spurs, and, and and that's where that's the sort of funnel that brought people into the sport. But yeah. increasingly, I think people are seeing um, computer games and esports as as the, that sort of first step. Yeah, it's quite a surreal thing to watch. Um, I think when we went to the Nurburgring earlier early in the year, there was a, a little arena there 
um, and you could see these people playing computer games and all you could hear was the click of the pedals and on the TV you could see them racing a TCR race around the Nürburgring right. but all you could it was silent in the arena apart from wheels and pedals clicking so it's not maybe not a spectator sport live but no, streaming well, online that's just, I think it probably is I, I don't think it was ever designed to be a spectator sport really but but it is becoming so isn't it on, but it's being you, you're watching on I, a screen yeah, I could watch a stream online I think yeah you're watching a stream you're not watching a live event watch. <laughs> no 20 people with headphones sat yeah, it's a curious thing. Yeah, but. but I think it's also worth mentioning that, um, I mean, you mentioned the FIFA game earlier, Jack, but I mean, Premier League football teams in the UK have got their own virtual football teams as well, and they're paying big money to sort of uh, 15 and 16-year-olds with unnaturally dexterous fingers um, to represent them in major major league comp- major electronic competitions. Live on Sky Sports as well. Yeah, yeah spent a whole day of live I still don't think FIFA it's a spectator sport. No. I'd far rather watch altering than virtual football. Let's not be hasty. <laughs> um, to complement our comments. piece on your on esports, we have also um, just a, 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 a gazing into our crystal ball, really looking at the future of motor racing. Um, and we've got some. The, the, these are the images that were leaked, uh, I think, last week from um, uh, an event at the Singapore Grand Prix. Um, uh, which uh, Ross Braun was giving a presentation about what was going to happen under the new regulations in 2021. These images came out, images of um, various kind of design concepts um, and of, of, of Formula One cars. Um, and they looked remarkably like the Generation 2 Formula E cars, I thought. Um, th- that's not to say that it's a bad thing. I thought they looked, they looked pretty good. Um, but what do I know? Um, we asked John Barnard and Steve Nichols to give their opinion, and they were slightly less complimentary, weren't they, Simon? Well, I think they—I mean, they—they they are both very bright, practical men, and they know that these are the Formula One cars as envisaged by graphic designers rather than by, you know, technical directors. Um, so, you know, I think they—they they looked at different. They, they mentioned certain things that they'd both like to see, well, the different things that they'd like to see. I won't give away all the details but there are certain key aspects key aspects that they feel should be removed completely in order to make the cars more more raceable yeah. um which is you know doing away with all the aero widgets that um you know, well, we, both we, of them clearly couldn't bear the front wings and, and no, these designs exactly. just yeah. you know don't address that issue at all and don't address the issue i, I thought it was quite funny actually, that you, you mentioned these i mean these drawings we have uh, these were the official ones that were released a couple of days after but because they, they held this thing in singapore and uh, showed showed some of the concepts and would seem quite surprised that somebody used a mobile phone That's to, right, yes. to, to take a picture of them and put it on Twitter, where Probably where, where got retweeted a zillion times. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's Formula One's slight yes, lack was, of grasp of um, yeah. social media. There was that sort of pause, wasn't there? The, the images sort of leaked. They were all over social media. Nothing from Formula One, and then sort of 24 hours later, out came kind of uh, all, all, all the images. There was, yeah, it does seem that they were caught in the hop slightly. It's a very mobile desk, I thought. We're used to online scrambling to get cover things, whereas this was the day before deadline. Yeah, that was it. um, I think we'd actually already designed the feature without any of this stuff involved, and then all of a sudden it was, uh, ah, hang on a minute, Uh, stop, (laughs) let's uh, go back and have another look at this. Yeah, Yeah, there was, um, yes, we were were right up to date for once. Um, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. What else have we got? Let's, uh, let's, just as you can hear, I'm flicking through our pages. Oh, yes, um, ancient and modern. Look, we've got um, uh, Sebastian Prelo, Seb Prelo, in Jim Clark's old Lotus Cortina, uh, which actually we, we was up for auction. So we managed to get, um, we were offered a ride in it. And we said, yeah, we'd love to. We'd love to have a drive and take it on the track. Um, but we want to do something else. Who? What can we do? And then we all sort of brainstormed it for a bit. And um, thought, wouldn't it be good to get a kind of uh, a young, up-and-coming racing driver um, and uh, Sebastian Prelo's uh, Formula 4, four uh, driver to test out and to see whether they can actually handle an old analog racing car. Um, obviously, um, uh, uh, many people think that younger drivers are a bit mollycoddled at the moment and are, are spoiled with power steering and flappy pedals. I, I and think very automatic. Gear I think, I think Seb was a little flummoxed by that big <laughs> stick sticking out of the what, floor. What, what it is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think um, uh, isn't it right that most Formula One drivers now have never driven a, a, a sort of a, a manual gearshift because every, everything's with obviously in high performance road cars. Well, it's, I mean, it's, car, karting. I mean, karting yeah. doesn't. There's no. Uh, it's and no, then they come up through the the, Form, the junior Formula, ranks. Formula Renault's got paddle shift. Formula Three's got paddle shift. Formula yeah. Two's got paddle shift. So and, and in Formula Four, Seb Prio's got paddle shift. So I yeah. Think, yeah. yeah, I think the last one would have been about Ricardo because he did Formula Ford. Back when it was yes. when it was Formula Ford, which right. was stick. So there's probably a whole generation of people staring at that stick coming out of the ground, going, "What was that for?" And so their Porsches will. And all as be you say, paddled. even their even their road cars will be gifted to them. It will be high performance. Yeah. So we did throw him in at the deep end yeah. to put put him in a hugely expensive uh, one, one off. Right. Uh, he acquitted himself very well, <laughs> he did didn't very he? Well, and yes. um, his uh, and his dad Andy was there as well, obviously. And, and and in a way, I think Andy's kind of take on it is is almost is is the most revelatory in the sense that he's just saying. Look here, son. This is really important. <laughs> right? This is you won't ever forget this. This is Jim Clark's car. There was, I think there was a moment towards the end of the day where they were kind of having that little sort of father son moment of of having a uh, this. You, you've got to you've got to really, really realize what you've done today because this stuff isn't going to come around very often. And uh, I think the two of them were kind of had a little sort of a quiet moment together at the end just to kind of recap and uh, I'm sure Seb will look back um, in 20 years time and remember remember that day very fondly yeah it's, um, it's lovely and love, lovely images of a sort of sun drenched it was Goodwood actually sun drenched Goodwood track um, Damon look talk us through this next feature which is a, a sort of picture essay really um, uh, giving a, a real a really interesting glimpse into an, in a very, very famous incident but it gives you a, a kind of angle that you probably readers won't have seen before yeah, again, um, it's it's one of those things where we we it kind of came out of nowhere, really. Where uh, an old an old uh, sort of photographer chum of mine from many moons ago, uh, Lawrence Baker, had was uh, given a job by Mercedes to go and cover the uh, Le Mans uh, 
uh, race from 20 years ago and um, obviously we all know that we, we, you know, it's not a spoiler alert to say to remind everyone what happened. Uh, the things flew up in the air and uh, kind of ended up in trees. And this was uh, 1999. Wasn't 99, it? Yeah. yeah. And it was uh, it was kind of a. Uh, a huge point in motor racing history not not least for the for the fact that mercedes have sort of never been back although they've had a hugely successful f1 sort of uh, period um there was we, we are reminded that before that they hadn't sort of really done very much for a long time uh because of this event so um lawrence was very much uh, a part of the uh team behind the scenes so he was uh, tasked with photographing all the drivers and the team and the the kind of the build-up and the excitement who and what Mercedes thought would be a glorious victory and uh, the kind of uh, a huge uh, marketing and media extravaganza that would come from winning at Le Mans but uh, as it turned out it was somewhat somewhat slightly askew of that Um, so the the images are kind of not not seen before. They've been uh, Lawrence tucked away uh, in a in a cupboard when Mercedes asked him to uh, sort of put them away and never well, he, never he, show them again. <laughs> so well, he'd, he'd sort of shot them for the Mercedes sort of in house um, in house magazine, um, and obviously after the events of uh, of, uh, of that race weekend, um, uh, where the, where the cars went airborne what three times? Yeah, um, three in the end, yeah. They um, they obviously you know. Weren't in the mood to celebrate it, so the, the pictures were unpublished and in, in Lawrence's um, attic yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, until until now. And uh, I mean, they're great, aren't they? They just sort of show you've got this lovely series of images of Mark Webber, obviously explaining to the crew, a very young Gary Watkins in the uh, in the back in the background. He's very young, Mark Webber. Yeah, explaining what happened. You can see him just with his hand going yeah. <laughs> flat and, yeah, then, and then, then pointing, pointing skywards, <laughs> and then this happened. <laughs> Um, I mean, it took me, but I mean, because I I was there covering that race, and um, you know, seeing seeing these after all that time, apart from seeing a lot of drivers that I know very well, looking twenty years younger, um, they just yeah, they're just very interesting. The bit, because, as you say, they haven't been seen before. I mean, I, no. the, the magazine for which they were intended, I used to do features for from time to time, and it it got pulled very quickly for some reason. Um, <laughs> So no, I, I just it's as I say, just a real and it's trip all, down memory I think lane what's, for me. what's also yeah. interesting is even after all this time, we still haven't quite ever found out exactly what no. what went wrong, and we probably never will. But it's one of those great unsolved mysteries that that I mean, there are many rumours around, but um, yeah, it's just in, in, it, it kind of carries on being having a little bit of interest even the, all these years later. And it's strange, isn't it? Because the actual image, it's one of those iconic images that even people who don't follow sports car racing know that image of the of I think it was Weber's car. Yeah. Um, vertical. Uh, vertical, yeah. Um, so, it, it, in a way, it's become an iconic image of Le Mans, even though it's something that isn't really particularly talked about. Um, but but uh, uh, and also, also, we have to mention, of course, that we can uh, buy those a set of prints. <laughs> uh, and uh, what we did, what we've done is, uh, Lawrence has put together a kind of a, a, a wonderful box set of the best of these prints that you can buy on at our shop. Um, dot motorsportmagazine.com exactly oh look at that <laughs> and uh yeah so you can sort of select a, a selection of prints and uh, have them for yourself but they are uh, pretty stunning and completing the set uh rob our production editor spoke to darren turner who was there as a preserve driver he was there he spoke to him at breach he did the weekend so he's going to do a driver's eye view of the event this week on the online so Okay, you can great. read it in the mag, read it in the online, and then buy the prints. Yeah. 
Wow, look at this. This, this, is, proper this is a well-oiled this is, this machine. Is, this, is, this, is a, this is a joined up operation. Slick. <laughs> I like it, team. Um, okay, um, Mark Hughes, uh, he's looked at Ferrari. He's cast his, his, his kind of eye over Ferrari. And as we know with, um, uh, with, with Mark, nothing really escapes his attention. Um, he's really looking at the power vacuum that's been left after the untimely death of uh, Sergio Marchioni uh, and who is going to step in uh, uh, um, to replace him, uh, specifically where it comes to running uh, run, running the team, um, I won't go into the details of it, but it's it's a fascinating kind of political read, um, uh, which really t- takes you behind the scenes. And in a way, that's what Mark is so so good at. He he, he kind of he, he's he's in the paddock. He he knows the teams. He knows of the these powerful political machinations that are going on, uh, and he can explain it. Um, uh, and it reads it reads like a thriller, really. I mean, it's a, it really is a, a must read piece. And then we go right back to the past, back to 1938, um, uh, looking at um, Donington, uh, the Donington racetrack, and where um, uh, 80 years ago, um, uh, Nuvolari raced in his only Grand Prix uh, on the UK mainland. It's uh, it's it's a great kind of. It's a, one of those moments in history which has kind of been forgotten. Well, I, I had forgotten about it, but it had, it's explained by John Bailey, who is a, a scholar of Donington, uh, with some lovely pictures and some lovely kind of um, first-person memories um, uh, of people that he's sort of dug out um, uh, from, from the archives, um, explaining why this was significant and um, and actually what happened on the day. What else have we got? We've got a... A lunch with Freddie Spencer. Matt Oxley's done our lunch with Freddie Spencer. Simon, fast Freddie, absolute. I mean, he's an occasional contributor to the magazine, but a complete and to the website. Yeah, Jack will mention the website if I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but what a life! Yeah, I mean, he's um, he comes from a a real sort of golden era of uh, Premier League motor motorcycle Grand Prix racing, um, and. His achievement in '85, when he was doing the 250s and the 500s, and one occasion I think it was at Mugello, where he got off one and didn't have time to change his leathers. I mean, a couple of the other riders lingered in the 250 assembly area so that he had time to run across and get on his bike. So he did two back-to-back Grand Prix. Um, I mean, you just—it's just a completely different world from the one in which we live nowadays. And um, Matt knows Freddie very well. Freddie's opened up to him, and it's just a. It's a as always with Matt's prose. It's a beautiful read, and it's a it's a great great story about a great great rider mm-hmm. whose whose career ended for I mean yeah, very, well, abru- very abruptly after yeah. a lot of success. Didn't yeah, he? he he just walked away. I mean he he's 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 a really fascinating character as well. The the book that that he brought out last year it was last year. I feel yes. was just um yeah it was a very unlike a un, very unlike a normal he's, motor racing person. He's, he's a he's a he's a special guy. Yeah, he's very he sort of sets he's set a set apart from. Uh, the normal motorcycle kind of uh, stereotype. He has a unique take on uh, motorcycling as well because he's he watches it and when he watches it, he kind of gets into the mindset of all the riders at the front, what they're thinking, how they're going to, what they're doing, how they're doing it, and it's really interesting to see him talk about modern motorcycling with his experience and the mental aspect of riding, yeah. which is unique, I think. Yeah. Especially from that generation as well, because the, the generation he was, he came from were not 
with all due respect, but they were not the thinking guys. They were they were. It was all about it was all about emotion and. You said cra- that. I did me. not say that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a very much a kind of a, a kind of a brute force bicycle motorcycle. Yeah, that's it. It was all about who could be the toughest and who could sort of come back from injury the quickest and who would have the who would have the biggest scars and that kind of thing. So it's a real machismo kind of uh, environment, which he always kind of set was set apart from. But he does so, carry that round with him as well. Mm. Um, with his injuries, I think you can see when you yeah. speak to him and meet him and shake his hand, and <laughs> yeah. you can see yeah. the injuries That's it. vividly, almost. Yeah. Well, as I mean, you mentioned his book, I and mean, I thought it was the most extraordinary. I know that um, Damon Hill got a lot of applause, rightly so, a lot of plaudits for his um, for his um, autobiography. But I thought um, uh, I thought Freddie's um, book was was just extraordinary, um, mm. and so as you say, so unlike a kind of standard sporting autobiography, it was, it was almost like a psychological examination. Of it. I mean, it's brutally honest as yeah, well. In many yeah, ways. Uh, moving on, we have a, uh, a lovely, well it's a new series actually which we're going to introduce um, called Master Craftsman which is uh, aimed at celebrating the uh, wonderful craftsmanship uh, that goes on up and down the country um, in the automo- uh, automobile world and um, uh, a lot of these companies have been going for generations and this one is um i think this is the second or third generation of owners um who, who've been running it motolita uh who create the most extraordinary steering wheels um beautifully handcrafted um and gordon crookshank our um, editor at large has gone along to meet the team behind uh the company uh find out what they do and, and how they do it and it, it's it's really a sort of it's kind of a harks back to the kind of golden age when the kind of the whole slow movement of rather than rushing something you do it slow and you do it right and this is basically what these guys are doing with these steering wheels um and the and the result is um is is a beautiful object isn't it yeah we got we we took uh we sent linda down to go and photograph it and it is is like kind of of stepping back in time it's a it's a from a from another age even though they're using sort of obviously state-of-the-art tools and the rest of it it is they are still handmade which uh is going to be a, a trademark of all the of all the um places that gordon goes to over the coming months yeah. uh we we can hopefully um sort of uh, touch on all, all all manner of different places i think linda's off somewhere else today so it's uh it's going to be a, a really interesting way to kind of ha- tap into that world i say this is a complete antidote to the to the modern world it's uh Nowadays, a Formula One team can rush release a new side pod in five minutes flat to the press of a CAD button um, and have it on an aeroplane out to the other side of the world and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But to see old, you know, old-fashioned values like this still deployed and to such beautiful effect as well with something like the the, the motor liter wheels. And we've also uh, we also got we've also got a video online as well. So we're doing lots of plugs today, aren't we? But uh, it's, uh, there's also a video of this, which uh, is 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 kind of really illustrates the the kind of uh, the way that the way that it's done as well. That's all obviously online as well. And it shows the sort of the care, doesn't it, in the fact that um, uh, that that you know you don't have to. Uh, I mean, you say you had modern machinery, but but some of the machinery, although modern, has actually it's been bespoke, has been made by the guys that actually do sure. the work. So yeah, it's just yeah. been it's a one-off piece of machinery that kind of cuts the. the all, all it does is makes that little divot. That's, that's right. It. That's, that's it. Right. <laughs> 
Um, fantastic. Well, listen, um, thank you very much indeed for listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed our insight into um, both of those uh, magazines. Um, the November issue is on sale uh, now. Um, uh, as we said uh, right at the beginning, uh, it's got the Jaguar E-Type on the front. Um, uh, if you already have the magazine and you're a subscriber, I hope you enjoy uh, reading it over the course of the next month. Um, we'll be back um, in early October. Uh, to um, hopefully talk you through the next issue. Thank you and goodbye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm. 